Hey guys, welcome to this special book club edition of Unleashed. That's right, I am opening up my library of some of my favorite books that I've read. And I've read a lot of books. I've got a lot of favorites, but I have put together some summaries from a class I taught years ago. And I recorded these video summaries for this curriculum in Soul School, but I'm gonna share them here with you because I really want you to get that reading, really influences how you lead in your life. It's the thing that allows you to get five or six hours of a deep dive into the author's greatest ideas at that time. And wow, what a way to be mentored by some of the most incredible people on this planet without ever having to meet them or know them. So I hope you enjoy this. I hope you take the action that I ask you to take. I really hope you dig it. I hope you dive in and I hope you apply what you learn in these lessons. As always, if you enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the goodness that is coming up. And of course, if you haven't yet, leave a rating and review as it exponentially helps get my podcast out to more people so that I can keep providing amazing free content to you. All right, let's get into it. So part two is all about exploring. Part two is all about saying, okay, how do we discern the trivial many from the vital few? And he talks about how essentialists actually create and schedule time for discernment, for exploration, for um, listening and debating and questioning. And this is not... In vain. This is not done just haphazardly. This is very specific and intentional so that you can explore the options before you actually decide. So he talks about how non-essentialists really don't spend much time thinking at all. They just select something because it's in their face or it's right on top of them and they just go with it. They're like, okay, yeah, let's just go with it. And they're just reacting to life, reacting to all the burdens of things to do. Versus actually taking a step back and going, hold on, let me take some time and actually explore which of these options are the best, the most important, the most effective for what I say I'm committed to in my life right now. And I really love this because, um, you know, in, in the first part of part two, the first section is chapter five, where he talks about escape and the perks of being unavailable and actually scheduling time for escape. And he gives the example of Bill Gates, and Bill Gates has um, a week to think, where he takes a week off where he reads articles, and he researches technology and science and the human brain and sees what's on his Facebook feed, and he's just noticing what's happening in the world and taking all of that cumulative information and saying, okay, how can I apply what's happening in the world and what's not being said under what's happening into my technology company, into my philanthropic endeavors to make it better, to make it more efficient. So he's using his time to think, to read, to study, to explore, to have time off, to sleep. And also he's going to take all that stuff that he collected, all that information he collected in his time to think, his week to think, and apply it to his work, apply it to his essential work to make his work better and more efficient. So I really love that. And he says, you know, we need space to design where we can go to escape from distractions so you can then create deliberately the space that you need. And perfect example of that, Preston and I had a a morning session, a half day session of design 
where we literally mind map our entire brand together. We mind mapped our brand separately. We were able to truly design our lives and start saying, okay, what's coming up so that we're not left hanging and left surprised by any of the things that happen in life. And that was really cool to do that because it gives you a sense of certainty. It gave us a sense of being able to look at things and go, okay, what needs to go, what needs to stay, what needs to be added, and especially what needs to be taken away. So that was great. You also need space to concentrate where the noise of the world cannot be heard for a little bit. That can be hard in a very noisy world, but we get to design and find and create space for us to have some silence, to have some stillness so that we can actually concentrate on what is for us, so we can focus on what is for us. And then space to read. He mentions reading classical literature or reading something that stretches what you're comfortable in or stretches your comfort zone or your way of thinking. You know, if you're a black and white person, read something in the gray. If you're a very spiritual person, read something a bit more rational. If you're a rational person, read something a bit more spiritual. Just things to open up your scope of thinking and to have you thinking outside the box. And again, this is something I do consistently. I'm consistently reading about technology. I'm consistently reading about innovation. I'm consistently reading about indigenous cultures so that I can weave all of these different things into my work and make my work a bit more full. And it helps stretch me as an educator and as a student to really start thinking outside the box and going, how can I innovate what I'm currently up to, which is what Bill Gates does with his week to think, which I love. Chapter six is about looking, looking. Look to see what really matters. And you know, a lot of people feel unsure and they don't know what to focus on, they feel lost, they feel like they're doing a bunch of haphazard stuff with really no clear results, or they're missing the point, they're feeling like they're just not really getting anywhere. And it's because people are focused on the minor details and they're missing the bigger picture. They're missing seeing what really matters, looking for what really matters, the big picture. But they're so caught up in the small little minute, what's happening here, what's happening here, what's happening here, what's happening here, that they're missing the big picture. So we really, again, get to take that perspective back. We get to take a step back and see the objective big picture of what we're up to and start to ask ourselves, is what I'm actually doing right now meeting my big objective? If it's not, then stop it. Stop it. Do not major in minor things. Jim Rohn said that. So good. Um, here are some tactics to help keep you focused on the big picture. Keep a journal because then you're literally every single day writing about the big picture, how you took steps towards the big picture. You can also put the big picture as a vision, write it out in a sentence. Here's my sentence. There it is. Look at it every day. Read it every single morning. Read it every single night. Keep your energy focused on it. Get out into the field. This means be in the space of what you're creating. So if you want to create a coaching business, get into the field. Go to conferences. Get a coach yourself. Go to meetup groups. Go to seminars and start being in the field. Start gathering information, being focused on that big vision. Get out there and fully explore the problem. And this is, again, like the example of coaching is so perfect. For any of you that want to become an expert or an influencer or a coach, I'm shocked, shocked at how many people want to do that, but yet refuse to pay for what would be their own service. They want to be a health practitioner. They want to be a 
life coach or a relationship coach or a business coach, but yet they will not pay for coaching in that area. And it's shocking to me because whether you pay for it or not, you might you know get lucky and have a free mentor or whatever. You need somebody who's above your level in terms of where they're at in that profession so that you can see the bigger picture. Because right now your big picture is limited by what you know is possible because you're just getting into something. When you're working with people and hanging with people and paying people to support you who are holding a bigger vision, your picture gets bigger all of a sudden. And you really start to focus on the big picture. You really start to see that it's not about chasing the dollar here and there. It's about big vision. What am I actually up to? What am I actually creating in my life? So that's a huge, huge thing. Clarify the question. What questions are you trying to answer? So really think about that. For whatever it is that you're up to in life, what questions are you attempting, trying to answer with your work, with your big picture? Uh, Chapter seven is play, embracing the wisdom of your inner child. He goes into basically talking about, you know, if any of you guys read Now or Never, press into my book which I know a lot of you guys did in our January book club, we have a whole chapter on play because play is essential, essential. And there's so much science now behind play. It actually shows that when we're in play, we're actually more present than most people are when they're working and highly focused. And when we're present in the moment, what happens is we let go of all those things that we think we need to think about all the time in order to get a breakthrough, in order to get results. We just let go of it. And then all of a sudden, we see something that we were unable to see before because our mind is expanded and available to be able to see it. So play actually opens up our receptors to be able to tap into more information, which is pretty awesome. And play reduces stress. And stress is shown scientifically to shut down your creative centers of the brain. So when you're stressed out, I don't know how many of you guys have ever felt this way, I know how I have for sure. When I'm stressed out, I am like so not creative. I am not like in the mood to create. I have no new ideas coming to me. I'm stressed out because I have no new ideas coming to me and I need the ideas right now. Versus going outside, taking a walk, going for a bike ride, going surfing, going skateboarding, playing with a dog, playing with your kids. When you're in play, you give your brain a second to just go, let it go, just let it go. And then it relaxes and your creative centers can open up again. So that's a huge, huge part of why play is so important. And it's a part of your exploration because when we explore ourselves through play, we start to find possibilities that we never knew were there or we could never see before. So play is so important. And he says, you can mine your past for play memories. What did you do as a child that excited you? How can you recreate those today? So For instance, some of the things I love to Connect Four. So the minute I walked into a Barnes & Noble bookstore and I saw a wooden version of Connect Four that wasn't all plastic and ugly, I was like, that gets to be in our apartment. And I bought a Connect Four and Preston and I had so many fun Connect Four tournaments on that thing. And that like brought me back to my childhood. Jenga, same thing, I love Jenga. So think about the things you used to do as a kid and whenever you need a jolt and whenever you need a reminder, Tap into that thing. Tap into that thing within yourself that you love to do that takes you out of the craziness. Chapter eight, love is chapter. Sleep, protecting the asset. He talks about how non-essentialists, and this was so me for a while, 
Non-essentialists look at sleep as another thing that's in the way of getting more stuff done. Well, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I literally used to say that. Oh, you don't need that much sleep. You can sleep four hours and da 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 But study after study after study after study after study after study after study has proven to us that sleep is essential for us to show up fully mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically to whatever it is that's in front of us. So while you could do the Einstein naps and sleep every 20, sleep for 20 minutes every four hours, which I tried that, totally tried that in my 20s. Yeah, I got less sleep, but I was less present to my entire life. I was like kind of walking around like a zombie for a long time. And just think about this. Think about when you've been sleep deprived. Think about how not awesome you are when you're sleep deprived. I know I'm not the most awesome person when I'm sleep deprived. Maybe one day of lack of sleep, I'm kind of funny because I'm a little delusional. But on day two, I'm kind of an asshole. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of how I roll. So think about your asset, this guy. Essentialists know that without the asset and 100% health and fully capable and rested and rejuvenated and recharged, because sleep is not just about like getting eight hours of sleep so your body can turn off for a little bit. Sleep actually, during that time, your body and your cells are rejuvenating. It gives your digestion time to chill out because we've been stuffing our faces all day. It gives our nerves time to chill out so they can regenerate and wake up anew. It literally gives our body time to rejuvenate, to recalibrate itself back to its natural state. So if you're not giving yourself enough of that time, you're constantly interrupting the pattern of recalibration. You're knocking yourself off of recalibration. Then you're walking through life completely non, un, non-calibrated, uncal- I don't discalibrated, whatever the word is for that. You're walking around completely off balance, wondering why shit's not working because you didn't give your body time to recalibrate, to rejuvenate, to restore, to refuel. So protect your asset that's so huge, 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 huge. I cannot like recommend enough sleep enough chapter nine select the power of extreme criteria i base things on my values yes and then for specific domains i have criteria that if a speaking engagement does not meet those criteria it's a no if a podcast request does not meet my specific criteria it's a no If meeting up for coffee doesn't meet my specific criteria, then it's a no. So you can literally get super specific and have specific minimum criteria for certain domains of your life. So if you're getting a lot of requests in a lot of areas or certain areas, develop extreme criteria for it. And I really love this because this goes into that whole idea of, you know, if it's not a fuck yes, he says hell yes. If it's not a hell yes, then it's a no. And most people are like, uh, yeah, okay. And then like the second they leave from that meeting, they hate their lives. And they're like, why did I say yes to that? I don't want to do that. And then they resent the person and the person never did anything except ask. You were the person who said yes. And this whole drama ensues. So you really get to look at why you're saying yes to shit you hate. Like seriously think about that. Why are you saying yes to shit that you hate. 
Stop saying yes to shit you hate and ask yourself, why do I keep saying yes to that? It's because you have no criteria. It's because you're not specifically going, does this meet my minimum requirements? What are your minimum requirements? Most people are saying yes out of people pleasing. Most people are saying yes because they want to be liked. Most people are saying yes because they don't want to be judged. So really think about that. Why do you keep saying yes to shit that you're a no for? And just like marinate on that, like really marinate on that. He gives a systematic process that you can apply selective criteria to opportunities that come your way. Step number one, write down the opportunity. Step number two, write down a list of three minimum criteria, the minimum ones that they have to meet, that they would need to pass in order for this to be a yes. Third, write down a list of three extreme criteria or ideal criteria that it would need to pass in order for it to be a yes. So the idea is, let's, let's give an example here. Let's say this is a potential coaching client, right? And I have criteria for coaching clients. Why? Because I've said yes to too many of the people that are not a fit for me. And I now do not coach people that are not a fit for me. Anybody who complains or has reasons or excuses, I do not coach them. So that's a minimum criteria. They have to be an empowered individual and speak empowered language. They do not speak empowered language language within our first conversation, I'm a no. That's minimum criteria. If they don't meet my three minimum criteria, it's a no. If they meet my three minimum criteria and they're there, then I go to my extreme and ideal. If they don't meet two out of three of my extreme or ideal criteria, there are no, because then they're not a fuck yes, right? And he talks about how you can rate everything on a scale of zero to 100. Think about it in terms of your number one thing. So coaching clients, my number one thing is I want people who take responsibility for their lives. That's my number one thing. My number one thing that shows up a whole bunch of different ways. If they rate an 88 on that scale, there are no. 90 and above, yes. 90 and below, no. So I think that's a really effective thing that you guys can start utilizing in your life. It's huge. So we made it through part two. Part two, again, is all about really giving yourself time to escape, to play, to look for what's important, to rest, to rejuvenate, to really select and have your criteria and go, you know what, this isn't a fit. And then you don't have to feel bad about saying this isn't a fit. This doesn't meet my minimum criteria.